Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. As you may know, um, if you've been here with us, we are continuing on in a series that we're calling Becoming the Church. And we're looking back to the book of Acts to lean back into this ancient, timeless, steadfast identity of the people of God now manifested as the church, God's story continuing. We are currently today in Acts 5 and 6, that portion that Robert just read for us, was this moment where the community started to see that for the faithful uh, distribution of goods, they needed help. And so they needed to bring more people, call more people into this, this role of deaconing and service. So that's what we're gonna talk about today, faithful service. We've talked these last few weeks about active worship. worship. What is our worship? We talked last week about communal generosity. Why? Why do we give? What are we learning from this early church in Acts? And today, we talk about why do we serve? How do we serve? How does this work out in community? As we've been saying through this series, Acts is really the second part of a two-part work written by Luke. The first is the Gospel of Luke, which all roads are leading towards Jerusalem and towards this pinnacle moment of the risen Lord. And then Acts picks up with that risen Lord uh, coming uh, and before his ascension and then spreading out from Jerusalem and the work of the Holy Spirit now takes over in and through this community. So we start with all of this that we're learning in Acts by remembering that Luke first taught us everything that is being now lived out through the life and the teaching of Jesus through, as we see in the Gospels. So in this topic, this topic of service, we know that the, um, Luke was living in a time where people really emphasized honor, prestige, wanting to be lifted up and increasing in honor, lifting up. And Jesus taught the opposite when it came to service. He taught about humility, laying down yourself to benefit somebody else. It was counterintuitive to their culture, but that's what Jesus taught. In Mark 10, we have a great example of this. James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, come, I'm sorry, I should actually read it. I was about to paraphrase it, but I'll just actually read the scripture. Starting in th uh, verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, him being Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Well, Jesus goes on and uh, gives them pushback on this, but picking back up in verse 41, he says, you don't even know what you're asking. Like, you've got the wrong throne, you've got the wrong path in your mind here. But picking back up in verse 41, when the other 10 disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among, among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the teaching of Jesus, and this is what's now going to be lived out by this community of believers. So considering in our crossover track, right, from 
the Gospels into the book of Acts, considering them as one bigger work. Let's just think for a minute about uh, the life of Peter. Peter is an active role in both of these uh, plot lines, both the Gospels and in Acts, right? He was the first one in the Gospels when Jesus said, who do people say I am? Peter was the first one to say, I know who you are, you're the Messiah. And yet, later he was the one who said, I'll never deny you, Jesus. I will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus said, actually, Peter, you're, you're going to deny before the rooster crows that you even know me. Three times you're going to even deny that. And yes, that's what Peter does. And then there's this beautiful moment where Jesus reinstates Peter, so to speak, by asking him three times, sort of mimicking the three-time denial, and says to Peter, after he is risen and resurrected, he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. And Peter says, yes. Well, you keep asking, like, yes, I love you. But when he's reinstating the response that Jesus gives each time, if you love me, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Serve, serve, serve if you love me. In Acts, then, we see Peter preaching, that, remember, the message that's greater than the messenger. Here is this relatively uneducated man who gives these powerful messages by the power of the speeder, the Spirit. He becomes a pillar of the church because his leading is about serving God and caring for God's people, not in his own strength, but he's trusting the spirit in and through him. So these, this old idea of what leading might be, what honor might be, we see Peter living it out in a different way as he trusts the spirit. And later on, St. Peter goes on to instruct future elders of the church. He's learned a lot at this point. In 1 Peter 5, 2, he says to the elders, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. So Peter has come to learn what this life of being the pillar of the church, the rock on which this church will be built, what does it mean? It means serve God by serving the church. Now really quickly, uh, about a little bit more about Peter. He is one of the apostles. Uh, these are the 12 followers of Je who learned directly from Jesus who now are the ones who launch the first early church. People are looking to them for their teaching because they heard directly from the master. When one of them, Judas, fell, they replace that role so that they start out as 12 because that's a um, a symbol from the 12 tribes of Israel. Now the church is starting out from the 12 apostles. But interestingly enough, when you hear those names, with the exception of just a couple of them, you never hear their names again. It's not about them. These 12 people, we don't even hear about them. It's not about them. It's what God's doing through them as they serve. This unique position as the 12, you'll notice with the exception of that one, um, in the very beginning, it's never replaced again. Nobody else is given that designation. You would think in the book of Acts that if that was such a big deal position, that that would be a continually filled office, and it is not. It's not about the 12 as things go on. But instead, we start to see throughout the New Testament that as churches are being planted, another name for as groups of believers are gathering in homes, we see instead some other roles start to emerge. We see that uh, the, the apostles who are leading say to get a plurality of overseers into each or elders into each of those gatherings. 
So now we don't get all of this detail right here in our passage, but it's important for you all to know, for us to know, um, how it is that we're structured and why. And we base the way that we are structured off of what we read in the New Testament. Because as things start to move on from this initial gathering, it's clear that we need some order within worship. We need to make sure that teaching is sound. Gatherings need to have integrity and, and not be chaotic. And we hear a lot in Paul's teaching about how to do that. And so we see in these places the offices of elder and deacon. And what is being birthed here is then fleshed out more throughout the rest of the New Testament. So quickly, what is it that we do see when it comes to these roles within the life of the church? The first one is the Greek word episkopos, and this is translated into our English as elders or bishops or overseers. In the New Testament, the role of these people serving is oversight, teaching, shepherding, protection, and church discipline. We later come to see that it's no longer, as the apostles are starting new churches or, or, or gearing them up, they don't say to appoint apostles anymore. They say appoint elders or overseers, these episkopos, and they say it in plurality, plural. There's multiple of these people who will be there. At Monsieur de Wrigleyville, our elders are based on three things that we like want to look into. We look into character, competency, and calling. And these are things we take very seriously as we look for people who are serving in this specific way. But the other office that we see, which becomes an office, is birthed here. It's not the exact word, but it's based off of the word, uh, word group in Greek that's diakonos which is deacons in our translations. So what it is here in the passage that Robert read was pick seven among you who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. So here, actually, it's not the noun deacon. It's the verb, what we would, deaconing. Um, they need to do the deaconing. They need to do the serving. And that is what they're talking about. It, it's uh, based on a word group that means waiting, uh, waiting on someone, uh, like, like as in waiting on tables. Uh, here it is seven men, but just to be clear, there are other places in scripture where deacons are women, and here at Missio Dei, all offices are held by men and women, because we see that in scripture, especially Romans 16. Um, but that, the word group is talking about one who waits tables, but uh, Nijay Gupta, one of my professors, explains it, it's, it would be more like, kind of like an assistant manager, or maybe an airline attendant, somebody who serves, yes, but you know they have some, um, some insight, authority, some kind of uh, influence uh, in their role. So in the New Testament, we see in these little house churches as this serving is happening, the word group in the world and the culture is a lowly role, one who serves. But to this believing community, this is a position of honor because Jesus was one who served, who laid down. It's Christ-like service, so it's high status in God's kingdom, even if in the world the word group would mean low status to be one who serves. But that's the beautiful thing that we're seeing being birthed in this moment. So we see these offices start to develop, but the book of Acts is not about church order for us, and I want to just make this clear. I believe there's a great deal of flexibility. What worked in the first century for a Roman house church of 20 isn't going to work in Naperville for a mega church today. There are different structures, and that's okay. Some people have directors of ministry, others do elders and deacons. It's okay, but we base it off of the character and the, the big things like accountability and community and plurality. That's what we're seeing here. This is not a book that says how to structure your church. 
but we learn from what was being birthed in this moment. And what we see are a couple key things. Number one, plurality over structure. There's always a plurality. We are no longer centered. I mean, everything's centered on the risen Lord, but it spreads and multiplies from there. It's about plurality. And then second, it's about leaning in on the Holy Spirit at work and trusting in that voice. Lean into the gifts that the Spirit is giving for the growth of the movement. We see this in the passage Robert read in two ways. First, these deacons, right? They're assigned as people um, honored, as people full of wisdom and full of the Spirit. And they were tending to make sure that the distribution of food, communal resources, like we talked about last week, that that was being done fairly. What was going on here is that we've got Jews and Gentiles, so people, faithful people who have come of God, who have come to believe Jesus as Messiah, with Gentiles who are coming in from outside of the Jewish culture, and there's a sense that there might be favoritism happening here. And so they call on a group of disciples to serve in a very unique way, to make sure that that uh, favoritism isn't happening. Now, that's what Scott McKnight is going to talk about, the radical inclusivity. We can say a lot about that right here. But for our moment, we're going to focus in on this deaconing that happens. One of the things that's really cool in this that I love is that in this moment, they say, call from the disciples. We're using the term disciples that was for the followers of Jesus. And we're now using that, expanding that term to be for all believers. And in this name group, there are Greek names, non-Jewish names, who are being called into this role. But again, it's not about prestige. It's about a willingness to serve in love. Everyone in this community is cared for by the community and their shared resources, like generosity last week. One of the resources, yes, is food for the widows, but another one is joining together to serve, sharing in on all of the tasks that need to happen as the church is expanding. If you've ever lived with a group of people, whether it's in your family of origin or a group of roommates, you know you can't just depend on mom or dad to do all of the work. Everybody rolls up your sleeves, and we do what needs to happen. If that one roommate just never does anything, everybody feels that as as a burden because we all have to share in all of the things that need to happen. And that's what we're seeing lived out here in this community. It's not about outsourcing, it's collectively. What do we need to make for our family life to happen here? Well, we've got some widows who aren't getting fair distribution of food. And we call people to tend to that actual need. But here's the other thing that I love in this passage and why we went beyond the assigning of the seven deacons who had this specific task of making sure the distribution went well. Because one of those is Stephen. Stephen is assigned and affirmed. The elders lay hands on them and say, you are assigned over this task as a person full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he preaches a message that's so powerful. See, he's faithful to lead how the Spirit is prompting. And he's said to be full of the Spirit when he starts to teach It's not limited to the 12. The roles in which we serve isn't limited by office. Instead, we do not pigeonhole what the Spirit would do into certain areas. We depend and we lean in, and we trust that God is so creative that, of course, Stephen could stand and preach this message where his very face is radiating. And so we don't get stuck into lanes. We get willing to respond, and we look to our leaders to teach 
to deacon, to be um, making sure that there's sound things happening in the life of the church, all of these things that Peter did. But we see this all being birthed in this moment. But wait, we're, we're not talking about leadership today. We're just talking about serving. This is about faithful service. Why all this talk about elders and deacons? Well, what we call elders and deacons here at Missio de Wrigleyville is just one way that people serve in the church, and it's birthed out of this passage. If I had my way, an important, important role of clarification, if I had my way, we would not use the word leadership in the capital C broad church for offices and roles such as elder and deacon. There's no way that I am going to change this universally. I just don't have any way to just wipe it out and create a new word. But let me explain why I have beef with that when it comes into the church. If you've ever worked in a church, or I'm sorry, in a work setting or a political setting under a great leader, it's fantastic. Great leadership in the secular world is a wonderful and powerful and influential thing. It's great but it's defined by measurables, effectiveness and efficiency. We talk about growth, profit, things like that. They might be a great developer of people. Great leaders are fantastic thing, but it relies on the strength and the wisdom of the leader when we're talking about it in the world, whether it's in academia or in corporate world or in politics, that's what we're talking about, strength and wisdom of the leader. And again, nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't translate well to the church. Because what we're talking about here with biblical leadership, the word I don't like, if anyone has a better one, I'll grab it from you. It's different. It's rooted in Christ's teaching and it's service. It's laying down your life and self for the thriving of community in a very specific way. I care a lot about this. I haven't found the better word and I'm writing my thesis on it. So you get a little sneak peek. Here's how I like to define leader in the church. This is how I define it in my thesis work. A leader is a person who is serving by stewarding. It's serving and stewarding gifts and passions in such a way as to influence the fellowship of believers. It's not about lording power or anything like that. It's influencing the fellowship of believers more and more into the image of Christ, which we're doing together, by the way. These are people recognized for their spirit-empowered gifts and wisdom and who are trusted and followed for the God-honoring example that they live out within community. So we're not talking about hierarchy, uh, uh, honor, authority, like those things, it just doesn't translate well. But now that we know what leader is in the life of service, unlike corporate settings, the emphasis on leaders in the church is on the gifts and the gift giver more than the individual or the office. So when somebody is using and stewarding their, responsibly their gifts, the glory goes to God not to the person. It's because the church is being built up in the name of Jesus. That's what church leadership is about. Scott McKnight in one of his commentaries says that leading here in this setting means being out in front of others who trust and follow such a person on the basis of calling, position, and example in the direction of communal Christoformity, which is that Christ-likeness. As a community, we're together being formed into the image of Christ all together, and we need everyone. Those are specific ways to serve, but everybody is serving together. Paul, in his um, epistle to the Roman church, the church in Rome, 
Um, I'll start in 12, but I won't read all of it. He's talking about what it means to all serve and to be dependent on what the Spirit is providing through the gifts and through one another. And so we, we referenced this um, passage on our uh, sermon a couple weeks ago about what is worship. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So that was our talk about like our lives, our lives and how we live together in community. That is our worship. I'll go down a couple more verses. Uh, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other as the church community. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the gift or given you the ability to prophesy, do it with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. All leaders, all, everyone, every one of us is called to serve according to the gifts of the Spirit and also just to the passions and your talents, the ability that God has given you as exactly the person that you are. And one of the things I love, there's multiple places in New Testament where Paul refers to spiritual gifts. And you'll notice it can be a little frustrating when you're first trying to learn more. None of them match. I mean, there's some crossover, but that's on purpose. If this is a fluid list, this is not some set list that we check off a box. If you have uh, the, the gift of mercy or healing or speaking in tongues, whatever it is, like these are all gifts. Just be ready for whatever gift in any given moment is given because that's how the Spirit works through a church. There's this wonderful little book on the Holy Spirit called The Holy Spirit by Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon, and they say this, the spirit must have a body on which the spirit can rest. That body turns out to be called church. All of these gifts that Paul lists here and in other places, the only way the spirit can be active and engaging in the church is if we, as the church, give our living witness, living selves as worship and respond to that call to be the church. Last week, we talked about the koinonia, the fellowship, that it was birthed and resources followed. It's the same here. Our service is a resource that we give for the community, for the thriving of the body. It's a resource that we share with generous hearts. Our time is a valuable resource. It's true. Our ability and talents, our spiritual gifts, which change, our presence, our commitment to show up, all of that, it's a resource. And you're giving generously back to the community of God when you serve faithfully like they were doing here in the early church. And yes, sometimes it's really based, and we are so blessed by the the physical talents and the spiritual gifts of certain people who can do very specific functions. You do not want me leading worship. You want Lucas doing that. 
There are certain gifts that make it make more sense for certain people to lead in certain ways. But there's also just the willingness to just say, I'm not going to leave till all the chairs are put away. I, I can show up early and put on the coffee pot. This is a way that we serve as community together. Now, similar again to last week, we're taking what we learn in Acts and we're applying it to our life together here as Missio de Wrigleyville, especially as we're extra excited as things are opening up and we get to be together and online, but we get to just feel a sense of momentum coming. If you are a guest here, we are so glad you're here, but we have to talk a little family talk for a minute. Now, I don't know if you've ever been at a dinner table with people and you're just like, oh my gosh, I think we just crossed over into an awkward conversation and I feel like I'm listening in on something that I'm not supposed, that's okay. Don't feel that way here. We carry our family talk out in the open because everybody is welcome at this table. And so if you're just here visiting or checking us out, just here, come and see how we do family talk together and we're glad that you're here. But just, we welcome you still as a guest. I don't want to put this on you in a weird way. Okay, now I'm making it weird, so I'm going to stop. Monsieur de Wrigleyville, it is time for us to roll up our sleeves and be the church together. I am so excited for more and more people to be able to be together. When I say that it's time for us to roll up our sleeves and get engaged, it's not just because we need helpers. And we do, by the way. We need helpers, but that's not why. That's not the only reason why. It's because we are the church together and we are looking at what church together means in the book of Acts and we're leaning back on something steadfast and timeless and we're responding in faith by doing the same because we are committed as the people of God of living out the Holy Spirit's continued work right here where we're located. If this is your church home, we share all that we have for the mutual thriving of this community, and that includes service. We need you, you need us, we need each other. We need to be an us in this space every single week. Yes, we need that emotionally and spiritually, and we also need that practically. That's just the truth of it. There is great joy in serving in the church. It bonds us together as we serve together. It's actually a place where we get to meet people outside of our GC or outside of the circle of seats that's usually around us. So there is a bonding of hearts to one another, but it also bonds our hearts to this community of faith, this, community, this body of Christ. There's spiritual formation in serving. Remember how we said last week, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, if your ta talents, gifts, and time are resources, their treasure is that you get to give that towards God's community of people together. Think about it. We have four main serving teams here at Wrigleyville. When you serve on the hospitality team, your heart is formed to live out that this is our shared home. You're, you're, you're coming early and you're putting the, co the coffee into the percolator. You're getting the home ready for the guests to come. You put out the bread and you pray over the morning that's happening as you just think like the people are gonna come. I can foster hospitality. You greet people as they come in. You welcome new faces and you stay for the after party and you help set it up and you're just, you're creating a place where everybody gets to come and we get to become a new us because you new person are here now. 
You live that. And your heart is shaped in hospitality as you serve in that way. When you serve our kids, your heart is formed to honor future generations, to show little people that they matter to God, they're made in God's image, and therefore their service to them is equally important to service to anybody else. When adults serve children, you guys, there's something beautiful, beautiful in that honoring posture that we're demonstrating and living out. And by the way, you don't have to be great with kids or know how to teach. We have teachers. We need helpers too. We need organizers to be point people who help steward the space every week. There's different ways we honor. Our hearts are formed as we serve our children. When you serve on the tech team, you help make things run smoothly in humility. Did you see Michael and Todd scrambling just now because Facebook Live isn't, isn't going well? I don't know what's happening. But we are honoring the people who are there and people are serving in humility behind the scenes. It's great for introverts too, by the way. Matt writes down all of my typos. I caught like three already in the slides because he's behind the scenes, but he faithfully sends those to me so we can make things run smoothly. So nothing gets in the way of us being able to engage with the Spirit's movement in this space. When you serve on worship teams, whether you play an instrument or you sing or whatever it is, you're ushering us into the very gates of God's presence, leading us out in worship in our time together and fostering a space of response where the Holy Spirit is moving on hearts. This is beautiful stuff to serve. And it's not on here, but it is for some people to serve in specific roles as deacons and specific roles as elders. We can talk about those too. We also have specialty teams. I need help with HR right now. Did you notice that? We need some HR help. I need tech help. I don't know how to run social media. Like if you have time and abilities that you wanna share, I love it, we need it. We have a group of people who serve on a building team who go around and steward the space that's behind the scenes, but they have special ability and knowledge in that. All that to say, whoever you are, if this is church home, this is your home. This isn't a plea for help, it's an invitation to participation in the life of the body, in the way that bonds hearts to one another, to God's community, and to Christ's, because we are Christ's body. We've been talking about this living witness of the early fellowship, right? The Kanania. Beverly Gaventa talks about their living witness was first based on their words because they were proclaiming what they saw of the risen Christ. Yes, that was their first witness. But the church's witness also takes the form of mutual responsibility in a community of believers. We're mutually responsible to one another for our thriving, sharing the responsibility with each other. People were drawn to that witness, that family life, rolling up our sleeves and being in it together, and they came to be invited to that table and know that same love of God that these people were experiencing, faithful service with one another, and we invite you to join into that living witness and serve one another in love, being formed as this koinonia, this fellowship of believers, because God's purposes are still being lived out in and through us as the church, as we respond. Through our generous God, we are all given everything we need to be the church in whatever form we are right now. If this is our church, then we have what we need to make Sunday happen. We have what we need through the giving, 
through the service. We have it all because God is providing those things. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we gather in worship of you because Jesus first served us with the most amazing, extravagant example of humility and love and service and laying down oneself for the thriving of others. We live in the continual wake of that amazing moment of service, and we respond through the Holy Spirit, offering our lives not only to one another because we care, and that is true, but we offer this to you. What, what an amazing thing that a fragrant offering to you is showing up early and brewing coffee and laughing with a group of a team that's putting together a service. Honoring our kids with play is service unto you. We pray that you would prompt our hearts to respond um, in ways that engage us more and more together as the church, who draw us in to the life of the body through your Holy Spirit. May you be glorified here this morning as we continue to worship and pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.